Hi, Arise family. Good to be with you this morning. My name is Jim. Um, My identity in the Lord is a shepherd. And so today it's my privilege to be able to bring a few words of comfort and challenge, perhaps. And Pastor Joel has given me a very easy topic to deal with this morning. Addiction. (laughs) Um, So um, I'm going to do something different for an intro to the message for the passage. And the, it's a skit, and the skit is called, What If the Church Knew That I Was Addicted? Okay? I've had such a long day. I just want to relax. I just want to relax. No time for my friends. No time for the homies. No time for chit-chat. You know, I've got problems at the job. and I'm just wondering what to do. I think what I'm going to do. I'm going to relax a little bit. Nobody will know. Oh, that's good. That's good. Uh, I think I'll check my penny stocks on Yahoo Finance. You know, I do this about 14 times a day. I get this rush whenever I see the market go up and my stocks pop. Ooh, wow, what's that? Oh, I haven't seen that video before. Hmm. Ah, that looks pretty nice. Well, I tell you what. Uh, been waiting all day for this. All day. It's going to bring me some calm. <laughs> what in the world? The last thing I want to do is answer the phone. <gasps> Pastor Joel. <laughs> oh, yeah, Pastor Joel. Oh, no, good to hear from you. How are you doing? Oh, 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 you're with Pastor Sam. Oh, you're praying for me. Oh, about those issues I shared. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's going pretty well. It's going pretty well. I'm just kind of sitting here uh, reading, reading my Bible. Um, you know, that, that old, worn Bible that, um, uh, yeah, that I, that I read all the time. Um, yeah, yeah. Oh, you're going to come over. You guys are going to come over and pray for me? Uh, okay, well, no, that's fine. That's fine. I'll tell you what. Let me just clean up a little bit, and I'll put some things away, and I'll be happy to have you over. Okay, see you in a few minutes. All right, bye-bye. What if the church knew that I was addicted? What if the church knew that you were addicted? We're going to talk about that today, okay? And I want to start off this way. I 
I want to start off with um, a definition of addiction, and but I, I want to just uh, be clear about it. I, I want to not so much talk about addiction, but I want to talk about the core of addiction, uh, what motivates us to become addicts, what's underneath it, okay? And so the core of the message is this, the key idea is this, God alone can satisfy and fill our empty souls. Only God alone can fill and satisfy our empty souls. Okay? Uh, this morning from the passage, I hope to answer four questions. The first is this. Uh, what is it? What is addiction? I'll read that in a moment. Uh, second one is, who does it affect? Is it that person over there, that person over there? Or am I included? I don't know. Uh, the next one is, uh, what does it look like? What does addiction look like? And then finally, how is addiction overcome? How is it overcome? Okay, so allow me to put before you a very basic definition of addiction. It goes this way. The fact or condition of being addicted to a particular substance, thing, or activity. In a sentence, it goes this way. He committed the theft to finance his drug addiction. Isn't it funny when you look up a definition and it doesn't really help? <laughs> I don't think that helps much. Uh, another one is this. Addiction is defined as a chronic relapsing disorder characterized by compulsive drug-seeking and use despite adverse consequences. Ah, I don't know if that's very helpful either. Uh, so um, I want to talk about this. What is addiction? What is it? Really, underneath the surface of the water, uh, what is it? And uh, to answer that question, at least to start, I want to draw your attention to a very fresh, powerful uh, word from our God. And just let this sink in and consider it, perhaps in a fresh way this morning. Uh, God says this in Jeremiah 2, verse 2. I remember the devotion of your youth. The devotion of your youth. That's a, a very interesting word. Now let's consider that for a moment. It really means the most intimate degree of loyalty, love, and faithfulness that can exist between two people or between a person and God. Hear it again. The most intimate degree of loyalty, love, and faithfulness that can exist between a person and God. You know, what strikes me about the language in Jeremiah 2, initially you think, boy, this is all about judgment. It's so negative. I'm getting bummed out listening to it. But you gotta, you gotta like really grasp what God is saying. He says, I love you. This is a love. This is a romance. This is a marriage motif. This is me extending myself to you, pouring myself out to you, reaching out, bringing you back. This is about my heart for you. And God is saying, I remember the devotion that you had toward me at one time. At one time. So you've got to understand that Jeremiah is writing during a time of Israel's 
total apostasy, and that just simply means falling away from God. And, you know, falling away from God never, well, I don't want to say never, but it, it seldom happens all at once. It's, it's incremental. It's almost imperceptible. You take a step over here, you take a step over here, and you take a step over there, and, and God's voice, your relationship with him grows a little bit more faint every time. And before you know it, you don't know where you are, and you don't know who God is. And what God is doing here, he's wooing his people back. Remember, remember. It's, it's meant to be a spark to kindle some embryonic sense of affection and devotion from his people back to God himself. I want to consider uh, verse 11. Uh, and I, I really believe that if you want a, at least from my perspective, a biblical definition of the core, the root of addiction, this is what it would be. Uh, verse 11. I think you'll find it on the screen also behind me. Has a nation ever changed its gods? Yet there are no gods at all. But... I love the emphatic conjunction. It's meant to like slap us in the face and help us to wake up. And he says, but my people have exchanged their glorious God for worthless idols. You see the great exchange? The great exchange. You want a definition of addiction? Keep in mind that addictions are not the issue <laughs> They're not the issue. It's not the issue. They're symptomatic of a deeper issue. And, and I say this, uh, addiction is not as serious as you suppose. But at one and the same time, it's desperately dangerous and far more horrible than we suppose. Because this is the root. My people have exchanged their glorious God, given him away. And then we run after these lesser things and offer our devotion to them. Bob Dylan, years ago, he sang a great song, and he said, you're going to worship somebody. You're going to worship something. We all are made to worship. You see that? We're made to worship. And if we exchange our glorious God for some lesser thing, we're going to fall into it. We're going to fall into it. I want to get a little personal here. Okay. Uh, years ago, and this, this really helped me when I was a young man, okay? I'll be a little bit transparent. Because listen, I've struggled with everything there is to struggle with, you know? And I, I've learned that over the course of my life, that when I was a young guy, I struggled with sort of different things. And slowly on, I'm talking over not just days and months and years, but I'm talking over decades, I came to, by God's grace, overcome some of those things, many of them, and yet, at, at my age, I'm thinking, I still, I'm struggling with different things now, right? So, um, as a young guy, I struggled with pornography. I did. It's humiliating for me to admit that. And it wasn't until years later that I was in school, and one of my professors, Ron Knightum, very godly man, he was a Christian therapist for like 30 years before he became a professor, and he said something in our class that day, that really changed my life. Do you want to hear it? 
Do you, do you want to hear it? Yeah. No? Okay, there we go. I thought you were falling asleep. I wasn't sure. He said this. He said, the reason people look at pornography, and I'm going to expand that a little bit. I'm going to say, the reason we look at anything other than our glorious God is because we're trying desperately to kickstart something in us that we're fearful is dying. Is dying. Hear it again. The reason we run after this and run after that and the other thing, whether it's porn or alcohol or whether it's the adulation of our fellow person, the corporate ladder money, portfolios, our career, romance, love, whatever it is, the reason we run after these things is because we feel that we're dying inside and we need to kickstart something in us. And that's what happens when we forsake our glorious God. That's what happens. Romans 125 says something very similar. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie, for a lie. I was haunted, uh, a couple of years ago, I was um, uh, letting my Bible app just uh, play through uh, large portions of Scripture, and I was working, you know, with my hands, hammer, you know, saw, and all this kind of thing, and it was just going on for hours, and I remember, you know, there at different points, I, wow, I'm hearing the story. It, it, I, I would really encourage you to do that. You get the flow of the historical narrative, and you hear God speaking, and it's powerful. And there was one particular verse in Isaiah 44. You can look up the exact verse. I don't want to give it all away. God said, and you can't see that the thing in your hand is a lie. He's talking about idols. And we think, wow, I don't worship any idol. Oh, yeah, yeah, we do. <laughs> yeah, we do. Uh, we may not make little card figurines, although in a lot of card cultures, even today, that's still happening. No, we, we, uh, we worship idols. Don't be mistaken. Don't be mistaken. <clears throat> Cisterns. You know the problem with uh, smoking weed or running after this or that or alcohol or... <clears throat> or our demand that life goes our way, or our if only, if only I had a boyfriend, if only I made more money, if only, right? The problem with the if onlys is that they're cisterns. They're cisterns. Let me read you something from verse 13. My people have committed two sins, They've forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. If you want to bring up that picture of uh, an actual cistern, I believe this is in Masada. Actually, uh, I don't know if you've ever been to Israel, but Masada is a very interesting place. I won't spend any time talking to it, but... This is a, a water harvesting basin at Masada. I walked in there. It's huge. And try as the ancient peoples 
May, they could not get that water to stay in there. They'd plaster it with waterproof stuff, and they would like uh, very elaborate, brilliantly engineered ways to uh, flow the water into these caverns and basins so that they would have a fresh supply, well, not a fresh supply of water, but the thing is they never held water. They always leaked out, and dead animals and insects would be floating around, and you know, anytime, anytime you try to mine your own life source, your own purpose, your own value, your own merit, it will drain away. It will let you down. It will let you down. It will let you down. All right, I want to move on. Who does it affect? Okay, what is it? What is it? Who does it affect? Now, um, look at this awesome picture of this iceberg. I want to just quickly roll through this, and I want to make a very uh, pointed application. Um, You know, at, at the top you see visible, and at the bottom not visible. And, you know, here's what we tend to do. We tend to think, oh, uh, you know, uh, the visible addicts are the ones who struggle with maybe food addiction, anorexia, uh, you know, uh, smoking, drinking, uh, porn. You know, we think, oh, those are the addicts. Those are the addicts. You know, we look down on on those people, right? Uh, They're visible. But what we don't realize is that we're all addicts. We have all exchanged our glorious God for created lesser things. Every one of us has done it. We just do it in a different way. And the not visible addicts are the ones who say, hey, you know, like, I'm, I'm addicted to beauty. I, I'm addicted to how people view me. I'm addicted to my own sense of self-pity because I forego a benefit that I demand that I have. And we circle in that narrative, you know what, for years, for years, for years, for years. Uh, The interesting thing, too, about addictions is that there's uh, a visible, symptomatic kind of element to it, the, the, the part that we see. But the root, the root is that we, our love has grown cold for God. It's grown cold. Have you had those seasons? I mean, visibly, you can fake it. You can come to worship. You can uh, spill out all the Christian lingo. You can get out your big pew Bible that's all worn. and, and you can, We can all fake it really good. We can fake it really good. Uh, but what is it like at the soul level for us? Hmm? I'll talk uh, personally about that in a little bit. Um, shame, guilt, wisdom, selfishness. These are the invisible addictions that we get away with, so we think. So uh, the issue isn't the issue. Uh, our addiction, our specific addiction, isn't the issue. The, the, uh, the uh, issue is we've forsaken God. Um, you know, I'm reminded this week of a, a verse uh, from... Uh, uh, Matthew's gospel and it's Jesus and the Beatitudes he's talking about uh, blessed are the the poor in spirit and I've been reflecting a lot about that lately especially in my work and God has done a a huge renovation in my own heart and I've come to see that I have really been an arrogant person 
And uh, lately, God has been showing me that I am absolutely spiritually bankrupt. <laughs> bankrupt. I, 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 I'm going to say something that might be offensive to you. God has shown me and allowed me to see that I have hell in my soul apart from him. I do. I really do. And it has caused me to find a new frontier of humility. And I've realized that I am poor in spirit. I'm an addict in different ways than you, but I'm an addict. And you know what that helps me to do? It helps me to look at you and your spiritual, emotional addictions and have compassion on you because you and me are one and the same. There's no difference. There's just no difference. Oh, what does it look like? <laughs> what does it look like? I want to consider a, a verse that I got to tell you, before I started several weeks, well, it's been a month now uh, looking at this passage, I don't remember ever reading this verse. And I, I found it in this new discovery. I'm sure I've read it before and heard it, but uh, I want to draw your attention to verse 19. Uh, what does it look like? I'm just going to read the first part of it. Your wickedness will punish you. Your backsliding will rebuke you. Consider then and realize how evil and bitter it is for you. Period. Just pause there. Consider then how evil and bitter it is for you. As we run after other loves, you name yours, I'll name mine. This is, uh, this is the language of intervention, do you see? Uh, it, it, it's like uh, in, in the garden where uh, God comes and he says, Adam, where are you? Where are you? God already knows he's trying to spur Adam on to consider what's going on. What, what have you done? Elijah in the cave, what are you doing here? Elijah, what are you doing here? And here, consider, consider how evil and bitter it is for you when you forsake, when you forsake the spring of living water. Do you know what that bitterness is like? Do you know what that evil inside of you is, is like? Have you experienced that? We probably wouldn't dare to admit it. Um, I want to I wanna share a personal story. Um, you know, it's... It, Anybody who knows me knows uh, this about my story, okay? And uh, so you're going to know me because I'm going to tell you a big part of my story right now. Um, back when I was young, I, uh, I really liked to smoke weed. And I liked to smoke high-grade weed. I didn't like the ditch weed with all the seeds, you know? Uh, I was a uh, high-class connoisseur of the good stuff right? You know, I was in a class all by myself. And you know what? It even got better when I took an interest, and I always had an interest in botany, and I thought, you know what? I'm going to grow my own. That was a brilliant idea. <laughs> I was a, during the Clinton administration with the war on drugs. Oh, Jim, why don't you just learn to grow your own weed in your basement? 
Like, brilliant idea. Well, the fact is I got really good at it, and I learned to cross, uh, you know, create these hybrid plants with hybrid vigor with qualities from all, you know, like I, I was good. I tell you what, I was good at it. And you know what? The police thought so too. <laughs> they took all of my stuff and they said, wow, Jim, you're so good at growing weed, but guess what? You can't do that. You can't do that. You can't do it. And I got popped pretty hard. I got popped pretty hard. But you know, the beautiful thing about it is that still to this day, I look on that experience and I say, that was God's mercy to me. It really was. It really was. Because I was forsaking my glorious God and I was digging this cistern. You name yours, I just named mine. Right? And it was because of that experience that I came to see, especially when they say, you help us arrest somebody else, charge them on similar charges, and you can go free. Okay? Well, I thought, well, that's a pretty attractive offer. I wonder which one of my friends would like to stand in for me. And as I considered all my drug-using friends, I thought, I don't think, uh, I don't think that's going to be real popular. You know? And it wasn't popular. Of course it wasn't. There's no way somebody would do that for you. But you know, I'm going to tell you something. That's when I learned about Jesus. <laughs> That's when I learned about Jesus. And I'm not talking about a book Jesus. I'm talking about an ascended Jesus who came to me in the darkness, despair, and hopelessness of my situation and lifted me up out of the miry pit. That is my stand in Jesus. You see, he's real. He's real. And that lack of having Jesus drove me off into the wilderness where I carved out my own cistern and worshipped lesser gods, lesser loves. And you know what? If you've had an encounter with Jesus like this, it will change your life. It really will. Now, that's not to say that there aren't some physiological, chemical, emotional, behavioral, uh, probationary things that you got to deal with. Uh, it's true. You got to work through that. You do have to work through it. And that's what the community of faith is for. But what does it look like? It is evil and it is bitter. Evil and bitter. Talk to any young wife of a, when her husband's struggling with porn and, and she will tell you, this is evil, this is bitter. The guy will say, this is evil, this is bitter. What, whatever your vice is, it is evil and it is bitter, okay? I'm gonna move on. How, how is it overcome? How is it overcome? How is it overcome? <coughs> I think the essence of addiction, the essence of sin, is really a denial of reality. It's a denial of reality. Uh, hear me out. Let's continue on verse 19. Consider then and realize how evil and bitter it is for you when you forsake the Lord your God, and I believe here's the clinch, and you have no awe of me. Awe. Awe. A while ago, I talked about numinous awe. 
divine awe, this uh, strange sense, this encounter with the divine God himself, and it's at the one time repugnant, and you want to get away from it, like Peter in the boat, and at the other end of it, it's so compelling that you're drawn toward it, it's com- it draws you away, repugnant, and it's compelling on the other hand, and you're caught in this tension, right? And, and God is saying, you've forgotten who I am. You've, for- you've forgotten who I am. You've forgotten what I've done for you. You've forgotten my great love for you. You've, you've forgotten how I have run after you and loved you and drawn you to my side, covered you with my wing under the shadow of my love. You've forgotten me, you see. When you forsake me and have no awe of me. I want to describe briefly um, this issue of awe and fear, okay? Because there are a couple of different ways we can look at it. But before I do that, I want to, uh, to kind of lead you into it. I, I, I heard, I love astronomy, and I've, um, I'm, I'm a geek that way, you know, like, Talk to me about a quasar, and I'll make you a bowl of popcorn. We could chat about it. You know, like, I love that stuff. And so, um, hey, you know what? Um, if, if you were to, let's say, you are to take this little piece of paper. I'm just going to ex- challenge your mind a little bit, expand your mind. Take this little piece of paper and imagine that the distance between the earth and the sun, does anybody know how many miles that is? Huh? Nobody? How many? 93 million. Oh. Praise the Lord. We, I have, a, I, I have a, a fellow astronomer in the room. Thank you. 93 million miles, okay? I think it takes like uh, uh, light eight minutes to get from the sun to earth, so the sunshine we enjoy is actually eight minutes old. Okay, imagine that this sheet of paper represents the distance between earth and the sun. Okay, you with me? Earth and the sun. Okay, the nearest star is about 4.2 light years away. Light traveling at 186,000 miles a second, I think seven times around the earth in one second. That's how fast light goes. I can consider all of that. So uh, for the nearest star, imagine that there was a stack of paper 70 feet high. Okay? Imagine that. That's the nearest star. Okay? Now, once your brain is freaking out a little bit, imagine that the nearest galaxy to ours is 310 miles high. Okay, tantalize yourself a little bit. And astronomers would say that there are probably trillions of galaxies, right? Like, I can't even get my mind around it. And then I go in and I read something in Hebrews where uh, Jesus uh, holds all things together by the power of his word. And Colossians, that uh, he created all things and by him all things hold together. You see, we have such a restricted, narrow, dim view of who God is. We do. We, we have no idea. Everything in this life, the culture, our world, the flesh, the devil, press against us and restrict our perspective of who God is, of who he is. Now, I want to talk about fear and awe. On the negative side, fear is like, best I can describe it to you is, and Tucson, I'll do it very quickly. For a while, we had problem with cockroaches. 
you know. And, you know, we had a leak in our bathroom. Uh, without knowing it, we had the perfect environment for cockroaches. My wife is probably just going out of her mind that I'm even sharing the story. But you know what? I, I don't, I'm afraid of those suckers, man. These, these, were, these were warrior roaches. And they were in our kitchen a half an hour before I went, or after, half an hour after I went to bed. I thought, I'm going to sneak up there. I'm going to do something about these things. So I go to bed, lights are out, and I go walking in the kitchen. I'm going to get these. I got something in my hand. And I flip on the light, and all of our dishes are stacked after washing right by the sink. They're drying. And I'm telling you, this is for real. I saw four warrior roaches sitting atop our clean dishes, waiting to start going around and harvesting all the food in our house. And I started going berserk. I took that thing, and I, I, I just went nuts on those things, man. I'm telling you what. And for a long time, we're like, how do you get rid of roaches? I don't know. Googled it. And for a time, and I'm afraid of them, for a time, our whole life, nothing. What about the roaches? Did that work? Did we get them all? Check tonight. You know, our, our, all, in, these roaches, our lives were going around in a circle with, with reference to the roaches. Couldn't get rid of them. Finally we did, finally we did, but for, for a long time, it was daily conversation in our home, how do we get rid of them? You see that? They had a grip on us, and we were running in circles, and that was the focus, you see? There's a negative fear that has an anticipation of pain and torment, but that's not what we mean here, that's not what we mean. We mean fear in the sense of awe in who God is. Will we allow our minds to expand, our hearts to swell just a little bit more to understand that, that maybe our understanding of who God is is far too small? Allow our curiosity to go out into new pasture. I don't know what I don't know. And so the thing that both of these elements of fear have in common, though, is that they both cause something to be at the center. You see, sin addiction is a denial of reality because if we don't have God at the center of our lives, it's not going to go well just will not go well. For a, a while, I want to I close out in just a moment, but um, uh, describe six things that we can do as a community about uh, addiction. Uh, I want to share something personal with you. Um, you know, and I think this will help kind of apply some of the things that we're talking about here. Um, when we allow anything to take the place of our glorious God, uh, we're going we're gonna to find that um, life becomes very bitter. And I'll describe it to you. For a, uh, for a long time, I supposed that my wisdom, that my wisdom was my God, especially when life wasn't going the way I wanted it to, the way I thought it should go. And I was thinking these narrow thoughts uh, about God 
And I came to realize, I came to realize that uh, I'm addicted to my own wisdom rather than God's wisdom. It allowed me to say, well, maybe, maybe God has higher thoughts than I have. Is that possible? <laughs> yeah. Maybe he's intending things that have a far more reaching impact than I could ever imagine. Is, is that possible? Yeah, it's possible. And you know what? Uh, it has really made a huge difference in helping me to fall under and trust the sovereign will and love of God. And I hope it would do the same for you. Um, hey, a couple of uh, things um, uh, five things. I, I want to uh, draw some practical uh, applications to this. Uh, five things that any church can do to help uh, people take off their grave clothes. That's what I call it. Uh, in John 11, Jesus says, uh, loose them. Help, them. help Lazarus to take those grave clothes off. And I really think that that is the heart of discipleship. We're all coming out of death. Right? And uh, how, how do we take our particular grave clothes off? And so when it comes to something as specific as addiction, I would say these five things. These come from the Dictionary of Pastoral Care. Very quickly, the first one is this. Encourage help-seeking. Do you realize that people who are caught in addiction hide it and their family hides it? And the, the, the best thing to do, the first thing to do is call people to come out of their hiding and turn the light on. And help them to accept it, to find help, to uh, get them connected with resources and people and everything. Second thing is this, disciple and counsel people who are struggling with these things. Third thing is, counsel and disciple the addict's family. How much does the family suffer when one member in the family is taken in, right? Everybody needs help. Number four, church initiatives in the community. There, you know, there are all kinds of things that Arise can do. Uh, churches all over town are engaged in things. Uh, what's particular to this community of faith and what's around the neighborhood? How can Arise make an impact? Number five, prevention. Prevention. Teach, educate help young people especially to know that it's bitter and evil. It's bitter and evil. And then I would, I would add uh, one last thing. And that's an invite to come to Jesus. <laughs> really, that's at the end of the day. And I'm not saying just get Jesus and coffee flippantly. That's not what I'm saying. I am saying that Jesus is alive and Jesus is real, and Jesus can cause your life to be transformed, and you will be in shock and awe and adoration and devotion if you encounter the living Christ. He will change you. There will be substantial healing today and complete healing in the time to come. You can count on that. You can count on it. So this is what I'd like to do. The band... Uh, it's going to come and do a song of reflection and invitation. And I have prepared down below me right here. These are what I call PCs. Okay? PCs. They're portable cisterns. They're portable cisterns. Okay? And during the song, if you would choose, come up and grab one. Be careful because they are glass. Don't grab one and like clench it in your fist or anything. 
grab one as a reminder and as a symbol of our waywardness and always trying to dig our own cistern. And you know what? I have uh, an invitation for you as the band begins to play and as you prepare to come up, uh, pray and consider that today the invitation from God himself is alive and is present for you to come back to him, to come back to him. And you might say, there's no way I can do that. I, I can't do that. I'm too ashamed. I, I, I. No, come back to him. And do you know what he's going to say? He's going to say, I've always loved you. Of course I'll take you back. Of course I'll take you back. Hey, there's a message in that bottle. Do you know what the message is? It's one word. It's one word. It's grace. It's grace. So let's worship the Lord together.